You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone. This is Hal Luftig with my Broadway podcast network show, Broadway Biz, where every episode I will chat with my friends, some of the top theater professionals in the business, about the business of Broadway. We happen to be recording our first few episodes during the COVID-19 pandemic, and I couldn't begin the program without taking a moment to acknowledge everyone who works so incredibly hard to make the curtain go up every single day. The actors, the stagehands, everyone on the backstage crew, the stage managers, the box office, the ushers, the porters, these are just to name a few. I know that this is an uncertain time for all of us, but please stay healthy and stay safe because Broadway will be back. My first guest to Broadway Biz is my dear friend, Dory Berenstein. Dory is a Tony Award winning producer and the co-founder and CEO of Broadway Podcast Network. I am so excited for Dory to be my very first guest on Broadway Biz. Thank you, Hal. Thank you. I am so honored to be your first guest. It means the world to me. And even more, I'm just so thrilled you're doing a podcast. As I have looked to you for for decades, literally, on uh, insight having to do with the business of Broadway. And you're the guy that, you know, I, I need your point of view. So you're the right person to be doing this podcast. And I will be Tuning in every episode. Oh, you are the sweet. See why I love this woman. I mean, how could you not? You are the sweetest thing. So when I was when I was thinking about you know having you as my first guest, I couldn't help but go back you know twenty years, twenty years to <laughs> oh modern Millie. Can you believe that? No, it really it really feels like yesterday. Right. Um, maybe the day before yesterday, but it does. Yeah. Yes. It does. It does. Except I was thinking, you know, when we did Millie, Noah and Sammy were were children and now Noah's in college and Sammy is this like would be forced director 
of, of Broadway. Her name is Sammy Canold, and I, to my listeners, and you should watch out for her because I'm telling you, she is going to be a force in theater of her own right. Um, I've seen a couple of her productions, including the most recent, Avita at City Center, and I look at her and I'm like stunned. What happened to the child who was running around the Marquee Theater during tech? Yes, but you see, that was it. She was running around the market. She wasn't running around the marquee theater. She was like, she was perched in one of the boxes, watching at, as a tiny little kid, just staring at down at Michael Mayer, watching everything and taking it all in. Mm-hmm. And and then later on, watching Jerry Mitchell in that same spot, different theater, prep Legally Blonde. And so she has been studying basically theater directing for. A very long time, yep. and so it it just it, she she got a, a nice head start, I have to say. She's uh, and she had these incredible uh, role models that um, how can you you yeah. know can't get better than that. Well, you should be very proud. In fact, um, tying this into the show, um, as I mentioned, I did see her Vita at City Center, and um, at intermission, I saw her. You know like most directors, hunched against the back wall. And I went up to her, A, to tell her how, you know, freaking wonderful this production was and how proud I am. But uh, um, I also asked her how she came up with this concept for Avita because it was, you know, the set design, the costume design, the whole uh, uh, the whole show had a different aura than, than we usually are familiar with when we see Avita. Um, and she said, well, you know, obviously we have a much smaller budget here than Broadway does. And I had to figure out how to deliver the magnitude of Ava Prone with, you know, very little money, basically. And, and that's part of what this program is going to talk about, things like that. And uh, I just have to say, once again, I was so proud of her. She's, she's an amazing force. You're, you've been an inspiration to Sammy from day one. You really have. I mean, right. all the way along. And she fell in love with Avita after watching your production of Avita. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah. you've had a massive impact on her life. So thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm telling you, listeners, she's going to have a major impact on the face of theater for many, many years. So keep an eye out. Um, so, Dory, I, I couldn't begin without asking, um, how is COVID-19, in your opinion, affecting the work that you're doing, Broadway in general, theater? You well, think? you know, Broadway is all about connectivity and bringing people together. And I am just in awe of our entire community about how just so quickly everybody has come together in a new way. They found a way to communicate. They found a way to be together um, and and to support each other. And, you know, now the creativity that's happening online is mind boggling. It's just overwhelming. And so theater lives. Theater lives. It just is taking a different shape right now. Uh, and the live aspect of it will be back. Um, uh, live in person will be back, but live remote is going like Full on the every, you know, there's so much um, happening out there, and I really think at the end of the day, uh, this period of time we're living through is going to change entertainment and how we're all consuming entertainment for forever. 
And uh, this will impact our, you know, the intimacy in a lot of ways, even though we're not together. I think that uh, there is such an exciting intimacy that's happening with uh, performers, with producers, with, you know, all sorts of people in the community in talking with people about the creative process, about storytelling and about creating new forms of entertainment. So uh, uh, looking at the bright side, which I really love to do, I think that this is adding a whole other dimension to our community and to theater. And uh, so uh, I think that in, there's a silver lining as, as horrific as everything is. Uh, mm. There's a lot of, lot of exciting creative work that's being generated now. I agree. I agree. I also think all of what is being uh, devised now because we can't be in the same you know, room and building together, but you know, eventually we will, this is not going to be forever. And I couldn't help but thinking while I've watched a all this creativity that's coming out on the internet now and, and all the love and support people giving up their time and their talent just to make sure that, that we're all, you know, entertained and, and we remember, you know, uh, the importance of, of theater. Um, I, I just, it reminds me when I do see this, how important that human connection that only live theater can give you um, when we're all in the same theater, and I know that's going to take a different form or shape, hopefully not forever. But, you know, when we all sit there together and in the dark, we all laugh at the same jokes or clap at the same songs or, you know, get excited by the same things, it's palpable. And, you know, it's, it's something I so, so miss when I watch all these brilliant, you know, um, current programming that, that's on because Broadway is shut down and mo all theaters are shut down. But I, I, I think it's, it just reminded me of that. It's, you know, for years, right, we've heard that, you know, Broadway, the fabulous invalid, was going to die at some point. First there was a talkies and then there was television and then, you know, there was, uh, uh, you know, the internet and then there were all these things and all these things were going to just kill the form of entertainment we know as live theater and it, and it hasn't you know i mean right you got to look at it hasn't uh, and it's not going to yeah you know? it's yeah. absolutely not going to and yeah. i think that that uh uh well everyone is going to be so hungry to be back together and hungry for live entertainment and uh when when that ramp up to um getting back to live performance happens i think that the whole community is going to turn out in, yeah. and yeah. beyond, and it will be a very exciting time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, thank you for, for saying that. Um, so here's a question, Dory, that is asked of, to me every single time I'm on any program, a panel, or X, Y, and Z. Um, when and what made you want to be a producer? <laughs> yeah. I know. Not easy, huh? <laughs> well, uh, growing up in Los Angeles, um, I, I was very fortunate, even though I wasn't ex able to experience Broadway, my parents took me to theater all the time, the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion and the Amundsen and I, I uh, puppet theater. I grew up um, very, I was so fortunate to have a lot of exposure at a very young age to theater. And um, fell in love with it big time. I just 
just knew that it had to be part of my life. Unfortunately, I had zero talent, none. I broke windows at a very early age. It was tragic and wanted so badly to be part of it. But, you know, when in school, they didn't have the tech crew. They didn't have any way to be part of it unless you were performing. I kept auditioning. (laughs) I did. And in fact, in fact, there was in third grade, this was so traumatizing and I know has shaped my life forever, but they cast everyone in the class except for me. (laughs) You know, I think in hindsight, that was probably better than being told, okay, we're casting you, but just stand there. Don't open your mouth. So it it gave me the opportunity to develop other skills, you know, but it, it was not, it was not pretty, but it, it probably those experiences made me feel that much more. Uh, no one is going to stop me from doing this. Made me made my drive and love for theater even stronger and figuring out how to be part of the world. And I became very, very focused on the behind the scenes and how these shows came to life and and you know what what happened i'm seeing everything on stage i'm loving it i'm lost to it but what how long did it take to get there and how did everything come together and i loved that aspect of it so much and so uh my the way i knew that this was going to be a big part of my life i was i ended up in film for a while before then, uh, and also investment banking, but uh, it took a while to find my way to Broadway because I didn't know anybody and had barely been to New York, and it took a while to to get there. But it was like uh, something deep inside that that had captured me uh, when I was really young, particularly watching Carol Channing do Hello Dolly at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion when I think I was five or something like that. And just, that was it. I was there. Wow. You know, I, I, I actually forgot to mention that you were a documentary maker too, um, and made some of my favorite uh, theatrical documentaries. Um, uh, the one on Carol Channing, um, the one that you turned into halftime. Um, Got it down. Yeah. And the one that uh, was particularly um, heartfelt by me is the um, show business. Yes, yeah. yeah. Show business. Um, I had a show running that season. It was part of the whole, like, sort of, you know, what could go wrong? Let's let this be documentarized. And, like, that was the. <laughs> It was like what could go wrong. Everything could go wrong, but it was it was fun because it was uh, had Carol Burnett in it called Moon Over Buffalo. If you remember, and uh, looking back on that now, you know it's it's still traumatizing as you said, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that was that that film was meant to celebrate our community and also, yeah. you know, for the business of Broadway, just really reveal how how difficult it is, how mm-hmm. high risk it is, how it takes a whole group of talented people working together and, and ha- how to get everybody on the same page to create theater. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not easy. And I wanted to make sure that came through in the film. Yeah, well, you did. You did a wonderful job. And, and, you know, I'm so glad you have found your way to live theater because working with you, 
um, has been nothing but a you know, total joy. It's one of my highlights of my career. So thank you for that. Thank you. For that. So let me ask you, when we talk about, you know, producing and things like what does it mean to you to be a producer? What, what, if I had to ask you, what does a producer do? What would your answer be? Um, particularly because this is the business of Broadway, I think that the the answer to that question for me is um, really that you are the CEO of that company, mm-hmm. that you are um, really responsible for every moving part of it, but you need to manage it in a way that is empowering all the people that are involved to do their best work uh, and to help them, support them, and to to give them the opportunity to fly. Um, and, you know, of course, there's the, you have to raise the financing for it. You have to get the theater for it. You have to uh, make sure, most importantly, that everybody is on the same page, you know, because if, if, you know, half of the group is off making this show and the other half is making that show, it's just going to be a nightmare. We've all been there. Um, and so, you know, I think the role of, of the producer really is to to be that ballast to you know be the the help to to keep everybody together to keep everybody on the same page uh, and and also to keep things moving forward in a way that is um, uh, that everybody continues to be motivated and passionate and committed because it takes a long time to put these shows together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and everybody these days, not like how it used to be, but everybody these days is working on many projects at the same time. And I sometimes feel that, you know, when you get everybody together and they work, you almost, you know, you end up taking um, three steps back after, you know, a hiatus and then you have to catch up and then move forward. So it's like, how do you keep everybody focused and and the vision to be, you know, to continue to evolve and take shape, but to have everybody with that same vision um, and to take it all the way. And, and, and where we left off on Broadway, getting a theater is, is, you know, a gigantic challenge. And so helping to get to opening night in any way, every way possible. Um, so there, there are so many moving parts and that's something that I actually just adore about producing. Uh, it, it is, it, it does require um, uh, working with everybody, collaborating, um, teamwork, uh, and also um, uh, really being fully focused in figuring out the best path. Um, and, you know, every show is different. And that, to me, is exciting, too, because, you know, what the right path is and the right team for one show is completely different for another show. So it's it's always new and exciting. Yeah, well, that, that's true, it is. In fact, as I said in part of my intro, you and I should probably have our own show dedicated to the trials and tribulations of both uh, Blonde and, and Millie. Let's um, do it, I love, I love that. Spend the talk hours about all of these things. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but Dory, when you, think about when you hear about a project, you think about a project or, um, you know, you get excited about an idea of a project. How does, for you as a producer, how does the financial picture of that project 
impact and how do you think about the impact when you set out to get something to the stage? Such a good question. Uh, you know, I think that my thinking about it has evolved over the years. Um, and I think as Broadway has continued to change and as, um, as uh, the focus on, you know, what is greenlit mm. has changed and, and what, what the audience is, gravitates towards. I, I, uh, I am driven very much by what I'm passionate about. The stories that I want to tell, um, the films I want to make, you know, the, 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 and so sometimes that could take me down a very commercial path, <laughs> you know, a la Legally Blonde, for, for example. Uh, and uh, other times it can and be something that is very, very challenging, like The Prom, um, that was a controversial subject matter that had, um, uh, you know, didn't have any movie star names attached. Amazing through the roof of cast that ended up getting involved. It was a blank page when we started. But, you know, to go down a path that you know is going to be very challenging um, in for so many reasons, financially, um, raising the, the money, getting a theater, you know, it's not a no-brainer. Um, I... I, I wish that I could say that I put responsible financial thinking first <laughs> and maybe go a different direction and do something that's pre-promoted. And But I, I get uh, so deeply committed to a story I want to tell. And the prom is the perfect example of, of something that just meant the world to me to get that story out there, to work with these specific artists. And it was basically going to be whatever it took. Whatever it took, we were going to make it happen. And, uh, you know, and and being very aware, because I had been doing it for long enough at that point, eyes wide open of what the risks and challenges were going to be along the way financially and putting the show together that, that uh, you know, there certainly were many moments like, is this something that we are, should be doing right now? Is this something that we should... Uh, you know, say, okay, that, that was great, but we have to, this isn't going to work. But mm -hmm. I think in that instance, the commitment to the story we were telling uh, and wanting to make the world a better place uh, and believing that we could get there. Uh, and that's not, this is just me as a producer and my partner, Bill Damaschke on that show. It was, it was the entire company the entire team of people that that were so deeply committed and that we were all in this together. And so that was a very different experience from a business vantage point than some of the other shows that you and I have done together and, uh, you know, that are both in terms of whether it was pre-promoted and people knew the title and it just sang right off the bat. You knew that it would be a great musical um, or even that Broadway was a different place when we were doing Thoroughly Modern Miller and, mm -hmm. and, and Legally Blonde. You know, they, I have a, a show right now that um, we were looking to move when this, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic began that obviously we, we put a pin in that uh, is a very different financial picture. It's a tiny little show that was at the vineyard called Is This a Room? Um, and, you know, it was almost like 
I'm so passionate equally uh, with that show because it tells a story about a, a whistleblower who, a reality uh, winner who is imprisoned for trying to protect the truth and trying mm-hmm. to be a good citizen. And and it is it is such a powerful, epic show told by four people that, you know, without much of a set or costumes or anything. And it's so powerful. At the same time, I have to say, given a lot of the big musicals that I've done, there was a definitely a moment in time where it's like, yes, this is a tiny little show. It's not going to like completely, you know, I'm not putting my family and house and everything at risk to take this on. And, but I had the same, passion and it was um, a nice thing to to uh, do a show that maybe is f- financially more um, certainly more doable yeah. yeah I agree no I agree I love uh, and I completely agree that 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 things that you're passionate about you know the, the dollar amount the higher that goes to bring that to fruition it does weigh on you you know it's you know there's a big difference between a million and a $20 million, $15 million show. Um, you know, we coming up the ranks together, you and I, we have been in situations where uh, directors or designers or some part of the artistic team has, has you know, made an impassioned plea for enhancing the set or enhancing the lights or enhancing the props. And, you know, I know uh, just from our own stories, we've had you know, incidents where we've, acquiesced we've said okay and you know one show was an elevator needed to be built and the other show we had to have a party bike built remember you know that I last remember. right yes. twenty thousand dollars that lasted less than one performance um you know so how do you because i think we all come to this at some point how do you specifically when you have to have that uh, i like to call it the come to jesus moment where you have to sit down with your team and say, guys, we can't have this because, and you know, how it, how do you explain? Because it's not you being the big bad producer wanting to deny the creative team what they what they think they want, but rather than it is because the overall picture that you as a producer see about cost. How do you how do you get the when that comes up, the team on your side? Well, you know, I think that, and and how I'm so interested in your point of view on this um, too. But I I I think that uh, as people grow up in this business and have many experiences and that are difficult and that re- require um, a lot of you know hard uh, tough decisions. Um, along the way, and you also collect experiences, and you look back and you think, oh, "Why did we spend money on this? If only we had that money, you know." Today, uh, it, it as you continue to go along your way in producing, you th- see things in a different way, and you, I think, you it's clearer what is essential for the storytelling and what is not, and if this aspect of, you know, if this light fixture or this set piece or this. Uh, additional cast member or whatever wasn't there, is it going to change your storytelling? Is it going to really impact? Is it going to make a difference uh, at the end of the day? And, and I think that certainly as, as 
as I have matured as a person and as a producer, I think that the clarity of that and the the ability to say, no, guys, this is, we have to rethink this. And maybe I, I understand what you're, where you're going creatively, but let's think of ways we can get there that uh, are, would be more cost efficient. And there might be another way to do something that is just as effective for what you're going for, you know? And I think, I also think that it's, it's not just the producers that are involved in thinking that way. I think it's certainly uh, the directors and the designers that also um, are thinking more fiscally responsibly now, because I can tell you that uh, the, the the directors that I've been working with lately, and I know you've been working with lately, it's a very different mindset than it was 20 years ago. You know, it's like, how can we, how can we tell this story in a way that's lean and mean and doesn't take away from the audience experience, but that is, is smart and responsible. And at the end of the day, uh, it's going to help us get to recoupment and profitability much faster. Because, you know, when I when I think about the operating expenses of some of the shows, you know, from long ago and what we could have done to get those costs down, easy decisions today. Um, but at the time, you know, I think it was uh, just figuring it all out and figuring out what was important. And um, uh, but I what is what about you? I, I Well, I I always, you know, I I bring this up every time I give a backstage tour of, you know, one of my shows or something else. You know, the the thing you hear today uh, from the crew or directors, you know, is there's no room backstage, right? Some theaters actually have, like, literally zero room in the wings or uh, there is no backstage crossover space, things like that. And, you know, I remind people when I'm doing these things that, you know, years and years and years ago, the set consisted of painted drops, you know, just the you know, little drop that went up and down. And and so there wasn't this like need for all this room when these theaters were built in, you know, the early 1900s. There wasn't this need for all this room because it was just a painted drop that went up and down. And now we have, you know, things that, that, up from the floor and down from the ceiling and all that kind of stuff. And it is it is one of the things that I think, as you mentioned, have changed in the business uh, of show business is that uh, nowadays anything you do, any you know set change or anything coming up from the floor, or, you know, in from the wings, you know, the, the spectacular things impact the cost of the show, not only to produce it, but more importantly. Um, what it costs to run every week. Um, and I've learned over the years that sometimes, as you said, you know, direct, you know, teams have become more sensitive to, to that, which I agree with. But I always find I run up against, at some point, um, you know, some designer or director who doesn't understand the impact of a, of a certain piece of, of scenery or, or movement or change scene changes or costume changes that you know it may require two or three more you know crew members to do that you know and and or it may you know require you know a person to just stand and make sure like when somebody comes up from the floor that they're safely the actor is safely you know on that platform um, and that adds to your weekly cost so 
Um, I, I think that that is, I agree with you, and I'm so glad you said that about people being more aware and sensitive of that. You know? And um, I, I do think that it is something audiences don't really perhaps understand, which is one of the reasons that I hope this show can demystify and enlighten it and make people realize just what exactly it takes to get a show moving night to night. Um, uh, so it is something I personally am very aware of because I think you and I have been on shows together where we did not realize that. And, you know, oh, let's put it in an elevator without realizing, you know, wow, that's going to take six additional stagehands every night to just move that one little piece. Um, but it was a great elevator. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I think we need to save that to the million uh, uh, blonde, you know, episode. <laughs> we just talk about that. But, you know, it's interesting because when you when you think, you know, we've had this experience too on on shows uh, where you, when you ramp up to do the tour, you yeah. you have to completely rethink the show. Or you know, mm-hmm. I think as musicals are being made now, people are really thinking ahead and thinking about can how can we conceive this now that will simplify our transition to a tour. Um, but you are putting together a tour that it's a fraction of the cost um, of the Broadway production, but you need it to be just as impactful and just as, you know, you're playing even to much larger theaters than you are on the road than you would be uh, at a Broadway house. And how do you, how can you do um, as much for less? And, you know, you make these discoveries when you're ramping up the tour. It's like, oh, why didn't we do this on Broadway? You know, <laughs> save all this money. So, you know, it's it's a different mindset. But um, obviously, you know, there's so many tours out there that are wildly successful, that really uh, are pleasing audiences. And they, they cost much less. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about, you know, Broadway Union expenses. I'm talking about, you know, the physical production and all that. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're a lot less expensive. Yeah. And, and you also have the added bonus when you're on tour that whatever your set and costumes and props and lights and all those things are, they have to be able to be loaded into the theater you're going into within 16 hours and out of the theater in eight hours or less, right? Because that you have yep. to be on the way to your next city. And so, fit into a certain number of trucks too. Right, 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 right. So you're you're right. I've had that experience myself. Like, why didn't we think of this on Broadway? Or you realize, you know, on a tour, like, wow, we can't have that set piece because that takes, you know, eight of your sixteen hours to get off the truck and load it into the theater. So you, yeah, you have to think in a whole different mindset of economics. Um, not just dollar monetarily, but, you know, uh, sort of just time economics, um, which I think is very interesting. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, I just want to switch because I'm always amazed at the stuff you do. You, you, you are just like you're a renaissance woman. You, you, you can go from film to theater to to... In, in including, you know, devising this Broadway podcast network. I wanted to ask you, since I'm the newbie here <laughs> in your podcast family, what, how did you come up with the idea of making the network and what was the impetus and how did you go about it? Well, for starters, I love podcasts. I love the intimacy of conversation. And I think in the world that we've been living in, uh, com- the art of conversation is kind of, disappeared a little bit. Everybody is so busy on their phones tweeting in a few sentences and all that. And theater is a, you know, a, a, a place for incredible communication and storytelling. But podcasts give you give you an opportunity to go deeper and really, um, you know, whether it's storytelling or interviews or uh, all different kinds of podcasts, just lose yourself to things that you might not otherwise experience or go deeper and um, behind the curtain for things having to do with Broadway that you, you might not know otherwise. So I, I commute up to Westchester or I, I did commute up to Westchester for years and years and years and became uh, really uh, excited about so many different podcasts that to the point that I'd be sitting in my driveway at one o'clock in the morning not moving because I was in the middle of the podcast and I couldn't leave my car until it was over. That happened over and over again. So I was obviously, you know, it was, it was a serious, like uh, I was deeply obsessed with it. So, and then um, I met Alan Seals who um, uh, was uh, running Google talks and he uh, interviewed me for uh, his podcast. And we just afterward just started talking and about our love for podcasts and about, how uh, our frustration, actually, that there was no real place to find theater-related podcasts, that they were out there. We knew about some of them, um, but but there, there was no there there. And how do you find them and how do you search? You know, and we just felt that there were there had to be many more people out there like us uh, and that there were many people that were just starting to discover podcasts because podcasting is just exploding now. And so we decided literally sitting right there uh, to let's do this. Let's build a, a podcast network so that we can provide a home for great podcasts and make it easy for audiences out there to uh, find, they know where to go to find theater related podcasts. And, um, we dove right in and we just started to create it. And it took, uh, it took around, um, uh, from, from day one, it took around 10 months until we launched and we launched last October. Um, and, uh, we launched with, um, probably around 15 podcasts. And now we have over 55 podcasts and yeah. And there's just such a wide range of, of incredible storytelling and interview shows, um, act 
activists that are so articulate and fascinating with amazing guests. We're getting into musical podcasts, musical plays, parodies. Um, it's just an amazing place for storytelling. And, and what I love about it probably most of all is this amazing community that has come together of, of great theater artists and storytellers and everybody, it really feels like a family and creating content together um, and figuring out different ways to use this medium to communicate and, um, and making sure that we have the broadest possible representation and different voices and, you know, how you're coming on board with uh, Broadway biz. So exciting because uh, that's just adding a whole other uh, important area to focus on um, and, and also the connections that we have with theater organizations um, uh, around the community. Uh, we really, our goal at the very beginning was to bring the community together and really have uh, a place for everyone, you know, and so it's just, it's just been a thrilling experience and uh, we're, we're um, very deep into figuring out all sorts of innovative ways to help people through this um, difficult time in as far as creating content uh, that will in, entertain and distract as well as inform. And there's so much new uh, work that uh, is just going to be launched in the next few weeks by our podcast family that I think will mean a lot to everybody out there. That's fantastic. That really is. So, Dory, then tell me, maybe I'm asking this for a little, you know, like asking it for a little hint for myself, but in your opinion, what does make a great podcast? Uh, I think that um, we have a, a high bar for, you know, uh, having podcasts join the BPN family. And I think that, that uh, what we think about when we're evaluating whether or not to to bring a podcast to the family is is you know what is the voice what where is this what is what is um, the 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 person who is going to be hosting or putting this together is it an area that they have that they're passionate about are they deeply committed to this um, do they have a vision for how to put this together um, you know it's a it's a a podcast that will engage, that will um, uh, that will excite people and move people, and that people can get lost in. And I think that every, we have so many different podcasts, but each one is a very high quality, both as far as content goes and as far as audio goes. With a little forgiveness during these remote <laughs> captures that we're doing right now, um, but I think it's it's a blend of all those different things and. And it's not like, uh, uh, you know, uh, we're, every podcast has to appeal to everyone. There are podcasts that, you know, are just, I, uh, you're going to be obsessed with and other ones that will be fun to listen to now and then. But I think what's, what we're excited about is when you come to the Broadway Podcast Network, because you already are following one podcast, you're naturally going to discover all these other stories and podcasts that you're going to find interest in. So, you know, in terms of an answer to your question, to make sure that we have basically a portfolio of podcast options that will appeal to everyone. So um, something that is is inviting and accessible and 
engaging and uh, uh, with a, a strong voice, which you have, Al. So we are so excited <laughs> to have you uh, on uh, as a new podcaster on VPN. Well, thank you, Joy. I hope to uh, do you proud. Um, but this has been so much fun. Um, but like all good things, you know, we have to, has to come to an end, but, but I could talk to you forever and ever. Um, but to finish, and you're not off the hook yet, uh, to finish, I'm going to ask you three rapid fire questions okay. that I'll be asking uh, to every guest that I have on my show. And what I want you to do is I'm going to ask the question and I want you to give me the first answer that pops into your head. This is, this is like um, spontaneous. And I don't want you right, to, to think much about it. Don't don't overthink this answer, okay? okay? So what is your favorite musical? Oh! <laughs> I know. Uh, um, <laughs> it, it's a blend. It's, it starts out with uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie, and it flows into Legally Blonde, and then it, at the end of it is The Prom. And I would watch that musical over and over and over and over again. Oh, that that was a really well-crafted answer, I must say. <laughs> I, I just wanted to, to add to that. I could watch The Prom every day for the rest of my life. It just it was one of the most fun evenings in the theater that I had for a long time. Okay, next one. What is the wackiest moment you've experienced in the theater? Uh, there are so many, um, but the wackiest moment that I have experienced in the theater is when I had, um, <laughs> how do I say this? Um, <laughs> uh, there was a producer on a show, a, a limited partner producer on a show that felt very strongly that a scene that we had in the show would, it would just elevate the whole thing if we were to have an animal in the scene. <laughs> um, and how I think you know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to be more specific than that, but it right. was a very long, uh, arduous, challenging discussion to, you know, because when you think about it from the business of Broadway perspective, bringing an animal into a scene that would require a trainer, that would require food, that would require, you know, where do you put the animal? And then does the animal have an understudy? And all the different ramifications of bringing an animal into a scene, you know, and how we had to, to you know, talk the, this, the, this wonderful uh, partner um, uh, off of this idea that was a very wacky but uh, challenging thing. And they were coming from such a good, positive place. And I totally respect the idea. But wearing a business hat. It just, I'm not sure this fell in the category that it would have made the musical. You know what I mean? Right. That's a great, great answer. So and my final one for you said, taking what you just told about the animal, which I think is hilarious. Uh, the question is, and the lesson learned from this was? The lesson is stop and think and be a responsible producer and, you know, you might get swept up in an idea like, yes, bringing an animal into the scene could make it really cool and fabulous. But is it the right thing to do? Is it fiscally responsible? Just really try to uh, um, be wise and thoughtful and look out for the bottom line of your show. Uh, because while doing that, you're looking out 
for all of your producers, uh, co-producers. You're looking out for your investors. And that, in turn, will you'll be taking good care of your audience when you do that. Touche. That was great. Well, thank you so much, Dory, uh, for being my first guest. This has been so much fun. Thank you, Hal. And, and good luck with your podcast. You're going to kill it. It's going to be amazing. Uh, thank you. Mwah. Big kiss. Mwah. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Broadway Biz. If you have any questions about today's episode or the business of Broadway in general, let me know on Instagram at Broadway Biz Podcast or via email at broadwaybiz at halluftig.com. Be sure to follow me at Broadway Biz Podcast for updates on everything Broadway Biz, the business of Broadway. Broadway Biz is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Huge thanks to Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and Brittany Bigelow. This has been produced by Dylan Marie Parent and Kevin Connor and edited by Derek Gunther. Our fabulous theme music is by Nell Benjamin and Lawrence O'Keefe. To learn more about Broadway Biz, visit bpn.fm slash broadwaybiz. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.